recorded live. Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, March 11th, 2011. This week, episode 200. We did it, Cliff. 200. Comes to you from Studio C in beautiful McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes or Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Hey, Joe. It's a nice day today. Gorgeous day. And at the controls is our engineer, Austin Stone Cold. No bad. All right. Today's segments include the IAQ radio trivia question and interview with Dr. Randy Rapp, associate professor at Purdue's Disaster Restoration and Reconstruction Management Concentration. Looking forward to having Dr. Rapp on the show. We'll have our halftime. We'll go back to our interview, and of course we'll have the roundup, and we've got a couple of people that have called in to uh, join us for the roundup. Looking forward to a couple surprise guests, I guess we could say, Cliff. Check out our new Facebook page when you get a chance, the IAQ Radio Program, it's called. We've also been updating and adding Cliff's blog every week to the IAQ Radio website after the show. Check it out at iaqradio.com. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right. To contact the show, you can just follow the link on our show invitation. You can follow the link that says go to the show at the iaqradio.com website. You can stream us live during the show. You can download the show later. Sound quality during the streaming and the live portion are not as good as they are on the recorded version after the show. We can also be downloaded from iTunes. Don't forget we also have those ABIH certification maintenance points, IICRC continuing education credits, and ACAC renewal credits. Just email me and request a quiz. Email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit that IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's trivia question. Thanks, Joe. 
Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show via your computer, text your answer. Last week, Joe, I think was the most hotly contested trivia question that we ever had. After multiple, multiple attempts, congratulations to... Andy Krasowski, Comcast Metal Products, for correctly identifying the EPA's treated articles exemption as applying to products that have been treated with a pesticide for their protection. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, March 11th, 2011, has been sponsored by Cochran & Associates, the indoor air quality industry's dedicated marketing and public relations firm. Now for this week's trivia question. On what date was Purdue's football team first called the Boilermakers in a newspaper headline? Uh, good one, Cliff. All right, let's have you do uh, – let's let's split the duties on the okay, introduction sure. for Dr. Rapp. Okay, Dr. Randy R. Rapp, Associate Professor, Purdue University. Dr. Rapp's primary responsibility is developing, coordinating, and delivering the disaster restoration and reconstruction management concentration. The first course in the concentration was taught during the spring 2009 semester. With Halliburton, Kellogg, Brown, and Root in 2005 and 2006, he worked disaster restoration and reconstruction for Hurricanes Katrina and Wilma. He managed project controls to restore Iraqi oil for Kellogg's Brown and Root in Basra in 2006 and 2007, and he mobilized the effort as the deputy program general manager. All right. Uh, Dr. Rapp, as a young professional, had concentrated his undergraduate studies at the U.S. Military Academy in physics, nuclear engineering, and math. He also learned some good construction supervision in the field, so he understands the value of a Bachelor's of Construction Management degree. He also has a Master's degree in Civil Engineering from the University of Missouri, Rolla, emphasizing in geotechnical and construction. Dr. Rapp also uh, attained his Doctor of Management through Webster University, and we really appreciate having him join us today. I think we've got some. There we go. Okay, Dr. Raft, we have you on the line. Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, thank you. Great. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. I know you're on the road traveling and uh, making your way back to Purdue, but we appreciate you stopping to talk to us here on IAQ Radio. Can you tell us a little bit more about the disaster restoration and reconstruction management concentration at Purdue? I understand that's kind of a, a concentration that's part of a larger program. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Sure, I'd be happy to, Joe. Um, the concentration itself is three courses. Uh, one is an introductory course of three semester hours. The second course is a project management course, focusing more on those particular things that uh, a project manager would need to know for recovery-related work. And then the, the third course is a two-semester hour course. Primarily, the students 
fix on some particular restoration problem that they uh, find greatly interesting. They research the dickens out of it, uh, write about it, and make an oral presentation about it. So the course really is, in many ways, is in their hands, but it gives them a chance to really dig into some topic in restoration. Uh, just like with the certified restorer credential, the idea of people being able to do some research and write about it and, and communicate about it is real important. So that's, that's, that's I guess you'd say, the guts of the, the concentration. It lies within the building construction management degree. And that's a four-year baccalaureate program in the College of Technology at Purdue. Uh, building construction management, they're naturally construction-related courses, uh, construction science, building science, uh, business, engineering-related issues as well, uh, project controls, those sorts of things like estimating, scheduling, uh, change management, those sorts of things would be within its purview. So it's a, a, certainly an accredited program. It's accredited by American Council of Construction Education. Uh, so it is uh, very well received. We graduate over over 100 students per year. And uh, it's been around now for, oh, over 40 years. Uh, I think it was called something different in earlier years, but I believe since about the 1980s it's been called Building Construction Management. So... Besides this concentration, we have uh, five others. Uh, certainly, restoration is the newest, but for more than a decade, we've had electrical and mechanical concentrations. We also have home building and health care and uh, demolition. And there may be a new one coming, too, I think, uh, on superintendency. So by the time it's done here, I guess in another year or two, we may have seven concentrations. And that's kind of been the hallmark of this particular uh, building construction management program. Uh, Purdue's uh, heads or chairs, if you will, have been rather entrepreneurial in their approach to things. And, uh, the, the concentrations tend to be pretty popular, and particularly those that have been around a while have had a good many students that seek them. Well, I guess from your experience both in the military and with mega contractors such as Kellogg, Brown, and Root, it seems like you are the get-or-done type of guy to make a program like this uh, successful. In your opinion, what differentiates disaster repair from routine construction and renovation? I, I guess two primary things, time and, uh, and psychology. Uh, time in the sense that you got to drop what you're doing and go go to the work immediately. You get the call maybe in the early morning hours. Well, a, a good restorer is going to respond to that. Uh, not everybody in the broad construction industry necessarily wants to operate that way or perhaps would react very well to it. But uh, certainly, if, if, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the listeners, all those in the restoration industry, are well aware of it. And their success hinges on that kind of uh, timely response not only doing things right, but also doing them, getting there quickly. Because when disasters strike, the, the victims, uh, you know, so much has fallen apart in their lives, they like to know that uh, there's something they can depend on. And when that contractor, the restorer, shows up and is ready to work and get the job done for them and begin to help them put their lives back together, uh, it, it does a lot. And then just dealing with the, you know, unlike the rest of the construction industry where the, the contractor is, is invited and you know selected from a number of different people and 
you know, the owner is looking forward to getting their project built, uh, let's face it, those folks that are confronted with a disaster, they didn't ask for it. They don't want it. And now they're kind of like stuck, shall we say, uh, having to have a restore of some sort. So there's a, there may be a, a, obviously some disappointment and, and psychological uh, edge uh, from the very beginning. Uh, so it's it's a different a different game completely, I guess you would say, and and it's very challenging. It, it takes a different kind of person to react to that, and you know it's not for everybody. Uh, and that's one of the things. Well, what I've been talking about. That's what we try to convey to the students: this this timeliness, and and also the psychology of dealing with victims uh, who are owners, but at the same time, as they say, they're victims, and and it's a different. Very different approach that they have to take, or um, much more uh, uh, sensitive about those kinds of needs, perhaps than some other contractors would have to be. I'm curious, Dr. Rapp, going back just to the construction management technology, and while I'm at it too, if um, if anybody can text in and make sure we're uh, the volume's okay, we turned our volume down and tried to pick yours up a little bit, but that's about the best we can do. With respect to construction management programs around the country, how common are these in universities around the country? Well, I believe construction management programs at the at the bachelor's degree level, I think there may be over 70 of them that are accredited. Uh, there are more than that. Uh, not all are accredited. And then, of course, there are two-year programs as well. But just looking at the four-year programs, as I say, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it, there are more than 70 at this point that have attained accreditation. So they're, they've been increasing in numbers over the years, and I, I would say that perhaps the reason for that is um, in the design arena, engineers, architects have moved to a much stronger uh, focus on design and the kind of field work or field sense that, that perhaps was a little more common in engineering and uh, architecture programs in times past may not always be there to quite the extent it was. So, you know, you need somebody that could uh, get out there in the field and effectively organize and build the projects, uh, not just design them. Obviously, it's a, it's a team effort. And uh, that, that part of the process of delivering the project, uh, that's where the building construction management type programs really come into their own. As I say, you, you get graduates that, yeah, they have, they certainly take engineering courses or engineering-related courses, but they also take business and, uh, you know, construction-specific things like cost estimating and uh, construction project scheduling and those sorts of things. So it's a, a very a very broad brush and very appropriate uh, study, I think, for for even disaster restoration, uh, whether, whether uh, folks are hiring, you know, folks in the restoration industry hire... Uh, those who are taking the Purdue concentration or just building construction management graduates in general, uh, they have the skills that are certainly in high demand and very useful to the restoration industry. Cliff? You know, I, I think that uh, people in the disaster restoration field probably started organizing and sharing, uh, beginning to share information and organize probably in the late 1960s and early 1970s. And I think that the industries kind of felt, you know, kind of struggled along and felt that they really didn't get the respect that, that they deserve. You know, would you 
agree that your program finally makes an honorable woman or validates the trade of disaster restoration? Well, Joe, I, I hope so. I think that's that's part of what folks were looking at. Folks like Bob Bonwell uh, and others who uh, came to Purdue and wanted to get this thing going for the past 15 years or so um, to, to lend increased credibility to the disaster restoration industry, and, and why not? I mean, it's a it's an excellent industry, does tremendous service, and uh, to to give a, a little bit more, what I what should I say? Maybe a, a greater sense that there is professionalism involved. I mean, we all know that there was plenty of professionalism involved, whether Purdue is there or not. It's it's a it's an increasingly professional uh, kind of activity, but uh, I, I think having a, a concentration such as we do. We're doing some research, some writing in that regard, trying to formalize things a little bit more from the instructional standpoint. So um, that's kind of a long answer to your question. The short answer would be yes, absolutely. Well, Dr. Rapp, let's go back for just a moment to the, the history of the program. How did you know, how did this all come about? How did Purdue decide to move forward with a program that had a concentration? Obviously, they already had the construction management program for 40 years now. But how did they decide to go and move forward on the disaster restoration concentration? Well, I, I think Bob Bonwell had a great deal to do with that. In fact, I know he did. Uh, there, there have been others involved. Uh, Pete Consigli came to Purdue back at that point in time, and I, I hope folks will excuse me if I don't know all of the personalities that may have been involved, uh, but as I understand, Bob had, uh, Bob Bonwell had, a, I believe, perhaps a relative or, or an in-law uh, who was the dean of the College of Technology at the time, and so he spoke to that individual about it. Um, I guess he was guided toward the construction management program, and Steve Schutte, the head at the time, uh, was pleased to have the folks from the restoration industry speak to the students, and there was, you know, positive uh, positive feedback about that, and it was a matter of getting funding, which I understand came about. Finally, all the funding got lined up maybe around 2007 or so. Uh, so that, that, I think, is what led to this. Um, it was, uh, you know, Purdue was close by, had a good reputation, of course, and, and uh, you know, sometimes some of these things are just uh, kind of happenstance, but things fall into line, and, and uh, there was that demand, there were the resources to do it, and so away it went. Cliff? Yeah, um, has the restoration industry been supportive of the program? Short answer, yes. Uh, there, there are ways that I guess there could be more support. Um, we have not, at least in the first year or two, had uh, a lot of demand from the industry for uh, interns and so forth. I think they might be there, but maybe the, the students who might have served as interns and the companies that were hiring, uh, you know, just didn't make the right connections. But we're, we're seeing even more support now. For example, um, DKI, Disaster Cleanup International had a booth. They're they're the first uh, uh, restoration contractor to have had a booth at our career fair. That was just in February, and um, 
Mr. Dale Saylor was kind enough to come by and, and uh, speak to students uh, during that period as well. So, you know, we're, we're, we've had all sorts of guest lectures all along. And I'm, I'm a little loath to say them because I'm afraid I'll leave somebody out, but let's see. Uh, Brandon Burton, Kevin Fisher, of course, Bob Bonwell and Mike Bonwell. Um, uh, let's see, we've had uh, uh, Michael Pinto, Dan Bernazzani, uh, just a, a, a wealth of, of folks who are, are extremely knowledgeable in the industry. And I think the students, certainly we talk up to the students, that they understand the the level of what kind of instruction they're getting during these guest lectures. Um, so I, I think there's an appreciation there. And, and at least for the students who have decided to try the concentration, uh, you know, when they do their anonymous evaluations of the courses at the completion of each semester, the, the ratings have been pretty strong. So, you know, I, I think they're getting a lot out of it and they recognize the value of what they're getting. And that comes because of the support from industry. and, and uh, as the as the concentration develops, we're we're seeing more people uh, show interest in it. I mean, even such as you all being kind enough to ask us anything about it on this radio show, um, you know, we're, we're getting more exposure. And I think I think things will uh, improve as far as the students being drawn into the industry as time goes on. I'm curious, what kind of financial investment is necessary to to fund a program like this i would imagine you know purdue didn't just uh, decide to drop whatever amount of money to fund a disaster you know disaster recovery uh concentration how can you give us an idea of how that came about well uh there are 10 firms or entities each of which committed to contribute $15,000 per year for 10 years. So that's $150,000 a year for 10 years. And and those are folks that, that really was, Bob Bonwell was the spark for this. He, he contacted folks and sold people on the idea. Certainly Purdue uh, people, to the extent that they were involved, uh, um, you know, took positive steps to reinforce that, presuming that the, the funds would be available, because that was the critical point. Was, the critical matter was getting the funds lined up. Uh, once once those funds were promised and committed in that regard, then Purdue uh, advertised the position. And that I, on, go, sorry, go is that when you got involved with the program after they'd already lined things up, and then they they recruited for someone like in your position? Yes, that's my understanding, Joe. Uh, so that would have happened about two thousand seven. I got a call. I had I was overseas in 06, 07 uh, in, in Iraq, and I saw advertisements for academic positions. I'd been in academia before, so I was kind of keeping my, you know, observing. And, and there was one job at, at Purdue in building construction management. Well, I, I withdrew my application after a while for personal reasons I won't go into. But uh, later that fall of 07, um, I got some emails from the department saying, hey, did you realize we have this position in disaster restoration uh, that, you know, we're going to be hiring into? And so at least they made me aware of it, and then I thought, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and apply. And, and that's really how it all came about for, for us. Now where I'm curious, where does the 
where do you gather the information to develop the knowledge base about the effects of disasters on building materials? Did you get most of this from your own experience? I knew you had a pretty extensive background with hurricanes. What was it? Uh, Katrina and I think Wilma. But uh, I would imagine you had to reach out to others. And I know you're developing uh, a textbook now, but how did you get started with the knowledge base and, and putting together the information you needed to teach this kind of course? Well, there are many people from industry that I was speaking with. Uh, uh, certainly, as you said, there, there's past experience and past knowledge. Um, with regard to some building materials issues, uh, that's been something that I've had to deal with over the years. Uh, as an Army engineer, you learn some of these things, you know, as far as the engineering behavior of things. But the specifics of restoration have been to a great extent uh, here, you know, just, just taking the, the, some of the courses and training that are available, just like anybody would. I've, I've been very pleased and, and thankful to be able to go to some of these courses. I was up at uh, Unsmoke last summer, great, great instruction. I was at uh, ADI in Morristown. Tennessee back in 2009. I went to the contents course uh, that uh, Barb Jackson teaches. That was at the uh, Chicago Conservation Center last May. So some of the common industry courses certainly add to my knowledge base, as I think they will for anybody. And as we all know, this stuff is changing all the time. So it's, it's the kind of thing that one has to stay on top of, even if an individual thinks he has a real good handle on things. Well, you wait a few years, and maybe you don't have such a great handle on it after all. Uh, and, you know, uh, the kind of instruction that the students have gotten from guest lecturers, such as when uh, dry ease has come, uh, ADI, we, we use uh, Ken Larson's book uh, through, through DKI uh, as a reference as well. So, I, and, and, of course, the Internet, you know, just surfing the net. And uh, we do use one book in the uh, introductory course uh, by McDonald, and it's about disasters in general, both natural and man-made, and their effects on building systems. It's more from the standpoint of architecture and engineering, but it's, it's a good background book. We, we, we come up with 100 questions from that book, give them to the students, and then they work on those 100 questions as a part, not all, but a part of their homework during that first course. So by the time they're done, you know, they, they get a pretty good background in, in the disaster uh, effects on, on buildings and building materials. And, and that's, what we, that's what we feed into the students. So we're drawing from a lot of people in industry in order to do that. And that was a book by, you say, McDonald? I, don't, I didn't catch the title. I don't know if you know it off the top of your McDonald. head. McDonald. I, I, I don't have it immediately here with me, but... Uh, uh, McDonald, it was uh, published in 2003, 2003. but it's uh, the effect of disasters on buildings. So if readers haven't, or, or if listeners haven't uh, uh, seen that, they, they may find it of some interest. Cliff's going to put it in his blog, so we'll, we'll make sure that anybody that wants to check that out can do so. We are uh, right around halftime here, and I think what we'll do is we'll take a quick Stop to thank our sponsors, and then we'll be right back. The experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. <laughs> 
And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon, J-O-N-D-O-N.com. And, of course, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfactswithanx.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. Okay, we had a little glitch at the beginning of that. I don't know if you can start from the beginning real quick, and then we'll cut it off where we get to our marquee. Right, our sure. association sponsors are the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association non-profit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced okay. sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And all right, now we got all the sponsors thanked. Cliff, let me turn it over to you to start the second half, and we have Dr. Rapp back on the line, I believe. Yes. Sure. Uh, Dr. Rapp, has Purdue constructed any special laboratories, uh, you know, where disaster restoration skills would be taught or demonstrated? And if not, are there any plans to do so in the future? Uh, Cliff, they have not at, at this point. Um, we we have gotten some uh, some equipment. Uh, you know, a DU and uh, air mover and uh, air filtration device from Dryhees, uh, so the students get to, you know, at least see that, put their hands on it, turn it on, see how it functions, and so on. Uh, is there a lab for it, per se? Not really. Um, are there plans for that? We've talked about it, yes. There, there are a great many things that I believe were kind of looked at maybe in 2008 that, you know, with the economy as it has been... Uh, Perhaps the, the plans have been delayed, things have changed somewhat. I, I don't know all the details on that. That's, that's the kind of question that would, would perhaps best go to Dr. Robert Cox, our department head. I, I think perhaps some listeners certainly know Robert from uh, industry events. Um, so I, I can't say for sure what all the fine details would be. I do know this. If, if there was something very definitive coming online in the not-too-distant future, I'd know about it, I think, and, and I don't. So I, I would anticipate that what we're perhaps talking about or what you're asking about might be something, oh, maybe six to eight years into the future at least. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm curious. We talked a little bit about textbooks and, and materials, training materials for the program, and I know I, I spoke to you before the show and I know you're working on a, a, an actual textbook, and that would be the first, I don't know, Cliff, maybe I'm wrong, but that would be the first that I'm aware of that was a full textbook on disaster restoration. Can you give us an idea of, of what that covers, Dr. Rapp? I mean, is it 
just fire and water damage? Do you go into contents? I mean, how detailed does will this textbook be? Well, I I would say, Joe, that it's pretty detailed for uh, certainly the, the students that I wrote it for. For someone who is fairly new to the industry, like if a, a, a restorer hires on new folks perhaps coming in from the other phase of construction, there, there are three sections in the book. The first is, you know, broad brush kind of looking at uh, the restoration firm in the context of the bigger business environment, looking at disasters in general and their impact. And, and also, there's one chapter in there that what I try to do at least is to, to explain to the students what makes disaster restoration different from other facets of construction and why it is that those who we meet in the industry are so enthusiastic and so positive about the work that they do. What makes it special, this sense of service, this, this, this capacity to help folks who are greatly in need. So that, that's really in the first section of the book. The second section is more project management, per se, uh, certainly with a bent toward disaster-related issues and uh, the, the challenges that are imposed in that regard, particularly in, in perhaps with large disasters like a Katrina or a Wilma or man-made things uh, that happen like the oil program. And then the third section, there are six chapters there that, that delve into um, such things as contents, debris management, uh, water, mold, fire. Um, so it, that's how it's broken down, and it's oh, a tad under 300 pages. So I'm, I'm using it this semester uh, for the first time as an entity, and we'll see how the students like it. I think, I think it's working out pretty well, and that's, that's what counts. And, you know, that's, that's not a, a large number of students that are going to be buying it, uh, but what I would hope is that if Purdue Press, as it looks like, it looks pretty certain that they're, they're going to publish it. Uh, they told me that probably April 11th will be my final draft, and then it might be out by uh, published uh, by August before the new school year. I'm, I'm hoping that you know perhaps some, some other folks in the industry will find it of use, too. The, the very seasoned practitioners might not get as much out of it, of course, but for those who are somewhat new, perhaps even experienced people in general construction who don't know a whole lot about restoration, they, they may find it informative as well, at least I hope so. How many students do you have in the program now? Right now, I've, I've got four in the project management course. We've that, So I've had a total since we began in uh, spring of 2009. There are 14 different students who have taken at least one course. We graduated three who have completed the whole concentration last May. We will graduate, uh, as I understand it, uh, we should have another three this May, and then a few more next year. But, you know, that's that's the, the point about the concentration that needs the most emphasis, and that's getting some more students. Get some more students in, yep. Uh, now, how do you go about trying to locate the students? Are these well, people that are already in the construction management? They are, and we put out flyers about it, and certainly, you know, we get the web web page with the with the department. Uh, I talked to freshmen for about half of the lecture period, about 25 minutes, um, to to explain to them what the concentration is about, and they may have no real idea. They they hardly know what building construction management is about at that point, but at least they've heard about it, 
and they're aware of it. And certainly in my, uh, I, I teach a regular course in site management, site planning for the for the program as a whole. So the students there hear about it as well. And at every turn, wherever we can, we try to uh, leverage opportunities for for PR about it, for letting people know what's available. Um, it's it's challenging to get those students to choose this particular concentration over some of the others that are more conventional, that they've heard more about. And when they show up into the building construction management program, I don't think many of them picture themselves being in the stores. They might picture themselves as building a subdivision, building a skyscraper, um, but, you know, putting on a Tyvek suit for a while and, and a respirator and going out and doing restoration work is not perhaps what they pictured themselves to be doing. So making them aware of, of, of the good things that can come of this, uh, this study is, is really one of my challenges. And we recognize, too, that just because someone completes the concentration, they may still want to do conventional construction. But what is happening in some firms, I'm told, is uh, they're looking to create a restoration division, perhaps. And some of the students that graduated in May, one in particular, was speaking very positively about it. Uh, although he was working in conventional construction, he's looking forward to the chance of uh, maybe getting the company to establish a restoration division within it. So we'll, we'll see where these things go. There, there are a lot of different possibilities. I mean, do the, do the students, I'm curious, do the students you talk to, are they even aware there's a disaster restoration industry out there that's as big and as, you know, as... Um, I, I guess as profitable as it can be. Are, are they aware of that? Short answer, uh, well, yes. I mean, in, in the sense that they're told about it, Joe. Do they fully fathom what goes on there? As I say, I, I, when I talk to them as freshmen, they're just learning what building construction management in general is about. So when I hit them up with some of these uh, explanations about what makes restoration different, I don't know that they fully comprehend all of what is implied or, or stated there. But certainly we, you know, we're, we're staying on top of it in the sense of uh, at every opportunity letting them know that this is a, 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 certainly a, a viable career alternative for them or uh, maybe a career supplement on top of other things that would also be disaster-related work. You know, I think one of the things is that, you know, when I was engaged in it, you know, there was the thrill of the hunt. You know, it was seeking that big project, and, uh, you know, there were opportunities to, you know, certainly hard work, but it was probably one of the most fulfilling things, uh, you know, that you can do. So, you know, you know, you might want to interview some people that, you know, have retired and, uh, you know, just get some sound bites and sound clips and, and things like that, because, you know, it's, you know, the, you know, the fire engines and, you know, the, you know, the whole thing, it was kind of an exciting uh occupation for a while and you know the ability to travel and uh, I would also think that restoration companies still remain pretty busy in times when building construction and remodeling might not be so I would think from a uh, job security standpoint it would probably uh, be a good place uh, you know for someone to work. Well, we certainly do push the, the idea of the economic side of it you know that you know, their, their paycheck is going to be a lot less uh, contingent on uh, temporary economic conditions than in many industries. Mm -hmm. and, and that's 
of interest to them. They, for many of the students, uh, you know, when jobs are harder to come by, uh, they're more amenable to looking at new possibilities, new alternatives. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, the future of the program, I guess. You're, you're making good progress on getting, you know, people through the program now. They're becoming more aware of the program. Where do you see the program headed in the future? Well, what I would really plan to do at this point in time and what, what I've talked to Dr. Cox about, and uh, I, I didn't fully uh, appreciate all the possibilities when I first showed up at Purdue. Some of these things one learns over time. Uh, if I had it to do over again, and, and this kind of gives you an, an indication as to where we might go in the future, um, I, I might have delayed the first course by a year and devoted extra time to perhaps putting some of this online for a distance learning sort of thing. And, and yes, offering the concentration for the students in DCM, but at the same time, those same courses perhaps could constitute a certificate in uh, disaster restoration, reconstruction management, or something of that sort. I Administratively, logistically, that can be done. Uh, you know, we have a master's degree that is offered essentially by distance learning. So it, it, it can work well in that regard. And, and that might be what we would have done if we had it to do over again, because it would open up the, the studies to more people. And uh, particularly, you know, we might have some sort of arrangement whereby uh, every, I don't know, maybe some Saturday every month, uh, the students come in for a face-to-face -face or something. So there are different ways of structuring this, and I, I suspect like to do here is we'd like to go to our roundup. I've got uh, Dr. Dietrich Wow and someone you mentioned earlier here on, on the line. And what we'll do is we'll open up the lines in just a moment to uh, all five of us, I guess that would be. And then uh, we'll get some final questions in and we'll take it from there. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up, move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw high. Let's get uh, Cliff. I want you to say hello to a friend of yours here and oh, bring sure. him online. Absolutely. Uh, we mentioned Dale Saylor. He's with uh, Disaster Cleanup International. And uh, thank you for joining us, Dale, and, and taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, uh, you might want to say hello to Randy, make a comment, ask a question. Let us know what's going on with hey. DKI. Well, ironically, Randy, Randy's uh, sitting in a hotel room right now about six miles from me. Uh, <laughs> and, and yesterday we were together in Colorado Springs, so I can truly say, long time no see. Really? <laughs> Hi, Jeff. Hey. 
Well, you know, Dale, I'm curious, what's um, DKI's, uh, what has the DKI and your relationship been with the Purdue program? Uh, goes back, as, as Randy indicated, a couple of years, Bob approached, uh, in fact, uh, Bob approached Frank Heaton uh, to participate uh, in the initial round of funding, as well as a, a number of different companies like uh, ServiceMaster and, and Dryes and others. Um, and Frank viewed this as a, uh, as a, as a very significant uh, participant in our organization, viewed this as a larger opportunity and thought we should do it corporately, which we uh, immediately jumped on uh, as a wonderful opportunity to give back to the industry. Uh, Randy told you a little bit about the financial aspects uh, of it, but I'd, I would like to, to touch on one or two other items. Uh, one is that in, a, in addition to uh, having the wonderful opportunity to speak to students uh, last month and participate in a career fair, there's an angle to it that I think was very important, which is Randy afforded me the opportunity to speak to not just the, the DR students, but uh, a larger project management class of about 40 students. And we spent the better part of an hour talking about the differences between uh, just general commercial construction project management and what you need, to, uh, what skills you need and what approach you need to be a project manager in our industry. And also gave him some sense of scope and uh, the resources and opportunities uh, that are available in disaster restoration, as you kind of alluded to, uh, Joe and Cliff, just a, a little bit earlier. As a result of that, uh, when, we, when I was at the career fair the next day, uh, I didn't have four students come up to our booth, but in fact we had a couple of dozen students come up to our booth um, who, who simply said, hey, I was never uh, really cognizant. I, I'd heard Dr. Rapp come in and talk about it, but uh, hearing somebody from within the industry talk about it and uh, who brought the, some of the passion that those of us who are in the industry feel about what we do, uh, they wanted to hear more about uh, what the professionals in our organization do across the country. And uh, within uh, five days, I had better than two dozen resumes from students who are either seeking summer internships uh, or full-time employment in our industry, uh, or at least would like to explore that possibility, hmm. uh, which is very exciting uh, to be able to bring the, the next generation of folks into our industry coming uh, from a, an academic background as well as uh, presumably a, a hands-on technical background over time. Do you have anybody in the organization that's you know, looking at or maybe they're already considering going into the concentration from your own group? Uh, darn good question. Uh, we just announced uh, two months ago when we met with all of our uh, members across the, the country in San Diego at our national meeting, uh, that we will be implementing a scholarship program uh, that is available to up to seven uh, individuals on an annual basis, one from each of our geographies, uh, as well as uh, one set aside corporately for any employee of a DKI member company or uh, a family member of somebody who works for a DKI member company that we will contribute financially if they were to apply to the program and matriculate to the program. Uh, so given that we just announced it uh, two months ago, no, we don't have anybody there yet. 
but we are excited that uh, we don't have folks uh, who do participate. And I'm also excited to say that uh, last year, uh, one of the internships that was obtained by one of the uh, Purdue students was with, with a uh, DKI member company, uh, Woodard Cleaning and Restoration in St. Louis, uh, had one of uh, Randy's fine students uh, working for them last summer. I see. I'm, I'm just curious. This is a little off the subject, but did you happen to see the article in Indoor Environment Connections in the February article? Or the February edition, it was a an article by Paul Cochran, who's Cochran and Associates, sponsors our trivia question on franchises, and DKI was pretty prominently uh, mentioned there. I did see that, and I was uh, very appreciative. Yeah, I thought they did a really nice job. In fact, I'd always, you know, I I don't do directly disaster restoration. I do occasionally do some small projects, but uh, I'm always curious about, you know, the different groups in the in the disaster restoration industry. I've dealt with a lot of DKI people over the years, and I thought Paul did a really nice job of describing not only just the franchise world in general, but then going through and you know, doing a summary of some of the larger and actually even a couple smaller uh, opportunities available out there for uh, franchising and for networking and et cetera. So uh, I just wanted to mention that, and uh, I thought he did a nice job on it. Let's uh, see if Dr. Rapp, do you have anything you'd like to add along uh, while we've got Dale on the line here? Well, simply that uh, we certainly appreciated Dale coming down to Purdue as he did and taking uh, the time that he did. And yes, the, the, I was there when, when he was talking to the students, and, and you could have heard a pin drop other than uh, Dale's words at the time. They were very attentive and, and just really soaked it up. And uh, I, I didn't realize how many had put their resumes on or applied at DKI. That's wonderful. I mean, golly, that's great. So I'm, I'm very enthusiastic, and I appreciate all the help from DKI as well as the other folks that have been so generous with us. Well, let's keep Dale on the line here. We're going to bring Dr. Wow in a moment, but Cliff, I know you had a, a comment or a question. I, I do. Uh, Dr. Rep, where else, you know, we've talked about internships with restoration companies. Where else do you feel that the unique uh, skills of graduates of this program might find work? Well, uh, certainly restoration, as you say, and and the the other places that these students work, uh, you know, virtually any of the specialty contractors, general contractors, construction management firms. My my own experience uh, in times past with the Army Corps of Engineers, and then with Kellogg Brown Root, a big, you know, essentially an engineering kind of company in many ways. Uh, there there seems to be a little reluctance sometimes on the part of some of the more seasoned managers to look to construction management, they're more inclined to want to hire an engineer, quote unquote. And I, you know, nothing against engineers, I are one, but uh, <laughs> they have their niche to fill and CMs have theirs. And CMs really, uh, you know, they're part of the, part of the building team, part of the, the project team. And, and I believe that a good project is going to have some CMs or at least one, provide those special skills and the capacity to integrate a lot of things over the, the broad spectrum of, of the contract delivery. Um, and again, nothing against any other special, specialties or disciplines, but the CM certainly has his or her role to play in almost any kind of construction or construction-related project. 
In fact, I think we could take many of them and put them into a, a different kind of project other than construction, maybe something more, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, something more government-related or whatever. And they would still shine well. They would, they would be able to apply those skills well. So that, that's... Uh, does that answer your question? That's where I would see. You know, I would think right. even like a facility management type position. Right. Cliff, I know no, you. No, want... I, I, yes, I, 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 I think I, I think it does. I think you know, in some parts of the world. Uh, well, first of all, I think the insurance market. Uh, yeah. You know, it would seem that insurance Good companies point. they're on the opposite side of these projects in many situations. Uh, facility management, as Joe said, and in some parts of the world, the insurance market isn't as well developed but yet they still have these needs, you know, like in what we'd consider third world countries, places in the Pacific Rim, et, et cetera. You know, they've got buildings and, you know, companies like KBR, et cetera, are called upon to, you know, kind of put these things uh, together. Well, let's say hello to Dr. Wow Absolutely. here. Let's bring in our... Dr. Wow, do we have you on the line? Sure, I'm here, and I listened to the first two bars of my <laughs> Beethoven symphony. <laughs> I know this Yeah, is... no, I'm here. I listened. Uh, it brought back some memories. But I may suggest to Dr. Rapp that he gets a couple of sponsors from employees of the football, baseball, hockey, and um, uh, what else? Basketball. <laughs> uh... Basketball. Uh, they make they make a hundred and fifty thousand dollars during the warm up. <laughs> Doesn't have to wait that long. Um, anyway, um, it brought back memories, and I, you know, I am the first generation. I'm in the second generation, but the first generation of industrial hygienists. I started my studies in 1967 or thereabouts, 40 or so years ago. And that was the first time there were formal courses being offered. At the time, there was the Harvard University, University of Pittsburgh, certainly, and a few others. I think there were four uh, graduate uh, schools which offered occupational and health industrial hygiene uh, courses. And... There are a lot of people who probably are going to throw up now. I was hired by Dr. Korn and begged by Dr. Korn to join the program. He gave me an office, a secretary, $500, free tuition. Wow. <laughs> it was heaven on earth, and we couldn't give away the scholarships. I think Dr. Korn had 12 scholarships. And when I started, we were four students. Then we grew to six, I think. You just couldn't give it away. But that was when industrial hygiene, you know, people thought that industrial hygienists are either cleaning somebody's teeth or are inspecting toilets. <laughs> <laughs> I always inspected the female toilet, toilets, of course. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, I, I can see his frustration of, of getting people and say, hey, guys, this is something. You know, <laughs> it Dieter, is difficult to do this in the very beginning. It's always wonderful to bring you on. congratulations to Andy again. <laughs> I wish somebody else, one of my former students, would have been faster 
and uh, get the tweeted articles <laughs> from uh, last uh, week's uh, trivia question. I'm preaching that every time I talk about biocide. Right. said, why don't you have to label a, a shower curtain uh, and it says on there it's mildew resistant and there is a, a biocide in there. Why don't you have to treat it? I said, well, even a crazy person can't really get the stuff out of there and misuse it unless he eats a whole shower curtain. Highly unlikely. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I had fun listening uh, to this. And Dr. Rapp's frustration is that, damn it, you know, I know I'm doing something right. How am I going to convince somebody else that this is, you know, of value that is not Mickey Mouse stuff and so on? And I, I, I can 100% uh, um, uh, associate with his feelings over there. And I said, this is not just something that's going to go away in a, in a, in a day or two. So uh, I, I like that. And as I said, thanks for bringing back memories. And I had probably the best um, time of my life when I was a student at the University of Pittsburgh. I, it was just unbelievable. The other thing which is unbelievable, and I wrote this down here, I can't believe it. It's number 200. That's wow. <laughs> amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's but we are doing that for five. I mean, I, mean, I can divide 200 in round numbers by 50. But, I mean, there were a couple of Fridays from Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas and New Year's and whatever else that we didn't do it. But we are doing this now for just about five years, I in, think. Right? In August. It's about four and a half now, and we'll be five years in August, yeah. Dieter. So, you yeah. know, it's always great to bring you on because I'm, I never know what you're going to say, number one. Oh, and, neither do I. And, and <laughs> And the audience doesn't either. But secondly, you always have a way of, you know, making painting a picture on the radio here. And I, I really hope. Are you referring to the female uh, bathroom? <laughs> no, 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 no. no, what I'm referring to really is that I want to go back to Dr. Rapp. I mean, I think it's great the way you bring in your history with the industrial hygiene program, because I'm sure some people thought, well, they've got four students there, and, you know, what what's all this about? And it's... Were, were five when I started. Right, but now... And you know one of how many... I know you know one of them. Exactly. Uh, the other one, Larry. Right. But now look at industrial hygiene. I mean, 40 oh years God, later, yeah. you, you've got thousands and thousands of industrial hygienists, and, and you've got thousands of students in industrial hygiene programs around the country. So, uh, Dr. Rapp... And it's a respectable profession. Absolutely. So, Dr. Yeah. Rapp, I think you're on the leading edge of this thing, and I wanted to make sure you Absolute. had a chance to comment. Well, uh, it sounds great. I, I you know, I, I picture us in, in similar circumstances. I, I, I do believe that it will grow. Um, you know, it takes time, and it, it, it is frustrating. Uh, but uh, the main thing is we got our we got our focus on the on the longer term, and we're not going to let up. Well, I, you, know, the other, as, you know the other advantage I think you have, um, you know, you've got a tremendous advantage over I think um, Dr. Wow's situation in that you have an existing industry in place, and they're obviously interested enough to invest in the program and to start, uh, you know, a, a concentration that goes, you know, they're, they're looking ahead like the DKI folks and Dale, and I'm just curious, Dale, do you have any, any final comments you'd like to add? 
nothing beyond my encouragement to the entire industry to uh, support the Purdue program by uh, thinking about hiring the kids uh, who are coming at it. And I say kids because they're, you know, half my age, but uh, uh, they're clearly capable adults who can add value to organizations. One third my age. (laughs) (laughs) The only way they'll be interested is if they know that people are actively looking for them and are willing to uh, provide them opportunities in the marketplace. So it's a it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that if we if we seek them, uh, Randy can build them for us. Um, but if we don't, uh, at some point, uh, they'll become discouraged. Excellent. Cliff? Yeah, I, I think just one, one final comment. You know, I know Bob Bonwell, this was a dream of his, you know, beyond being just a dream. Uh, he was one of the oris- original people that ponied up uh, the money and uh, endowed the program, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, still does. So it's just nice to acknowledge, you know, that this is one of those dreams that actually did come to fruition and it's good all right before we go dr rap we always leave our guest the opportunity to present the last word is there anything we missed that you'd like to add or any final comment that you'd like to put out for our listeners before we sign off thanks joe just we appreciate you know purdue appreciates the chance to be able to talk about what's going on to to generate the kind of interest that you know will We'll get these students hired and give us the support we need. So I, I, I'm just very appreciative of all the support that uh, so many people have given. Uh, it makes a difference. Thank well, you. we want to thank you for joining us today, uh, Dr. Randy Rapp at the Purdue Disaster Restoration and Reconstruction Management Concentration. Uh, great show. also want to make sure we thank Dale Saylor from DKI for joining us. Thanks, Dale. We'll talk to you soon, I hope. Of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, always interesting. Never never a dull moment, moment with Dr. Dieter. Sure. And, um, of course, I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man. Always a blast. That was uh, good. Let's, uh, let's do another 200. Another 200. I'm on. Right. Uh, we're on. And uh, Stone Cold, Austin, uh, Novak, for taking care of us at the controls. Most importantly, you are a growing group of loyal listeners. The downloads have been great. We appreciate your Uh, taking time to listen to the show and downloading them. Don't forget we have those renewal credits available. And come back and join us again next week for the next edition of IAQ Radio.
This has been another IAQ Radio production. Call recording has been completed.